Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to the book of Psalms. This evening we're turning to Psalm 127. If you're in the church Bibles, we're on page 518. This is a song of ascents with the heading of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. We have been looking at these psalms in our evenings together, this group of psalms that are known as the Songs of Ascents. And we've highlighted that these 15 songs have been arranged. They all have that common heading to them. But there is an arrangement to them that is appropriate not only for the pilgrimage as the people of God ascended to Mount Zion in worship, but they also have an appropriateness for uh, the Christian life, for the life of faith, uh, the journey uh, through this life, uh, trusting in the Lord. Because there is a a breadth and a width to the topics that they uh, cover. And this evening is certainly true to that point as well. But this evening as we're coming to Psalm 127, we're coming to the center of these psalms. And if you think in terms of a pyramid, uh, this psalm is really in the center uh, with seven psalms on either side. Psalm 127 is at the center of this group of 15. But there's a balance to it beyond just the fact that it's the middle of 15. Uh, On either side of this psalm, on the seven psalms before this and on the seven psalms after this, there's a balance in terms of using God's name, the Lord. And so as we come to it, you see there's a, a, a balance or a positioning that is intentional to it. It is a positioning that is at the heart of this this journey of faith that calls on attention to wisdom. You notice there the, the heading. It is a psalm that has the heading of Solomon or to Solomon or for Solomon. Whether we take this as being written for Solomon, perhaps by David, or whether we take this as being written by Solomon, the impact is the same. This is a psalm about wisdom, either in the sense of a father imparting wisdom to his son or in the sense of Solomon a man who we think of as a man filled with wisdom uh, that the Lord blessed uh, as a result of his request. 
And when you think of Solomon, you think of the many reflections that he wrote. You think of, for instance, the book of Ecclesiastes, where Solomon reflected on this world and trying to make sense of how to live in this world. And you remember how Solomon began that book. He said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That, that Solomon was really stressing. There's, a, there's a, a sense in which life is transient. That life is something that is quite short, like a breath or a vapor. That's the word that he's using when he talks about vanity. Life is something that passes by. Like a breath, it's gone. Here for a moment, and then it disappears. That life is not only short, but it's something that is elusive. Like a vapor, you can't, you can't grasp it with your hand and hold it and retain it. It's something that eludes your ability to grab hold of. And life is like that. That we don't have a sense of mastery in this life. Things are happening that go beyond our ability to control. But as well, when Solomon said all is vanity, vanity of vanities, what Solomon was getting at was is that there's a sense of uh, futility when we look at this world and we realize that we don't control it. When we recognize that things aren't happening the way that they should happen, it can leave us feeling jaded. It can leave a person feeling numb. And so as a result, from the horizon of just looking at the world around us, it can leave a person feeling very frustrated. And so Solomon begins that book of Ecclesiastes with that in mind. There is a sense of futility to life as well. And this evening we are coming to a psalm that is attributed to Solomon, thinking about the importance of wisdom. It's at the center of this whole journey of songs about how it is that we are to live on this pilgrimage through this world. How is it that we are to run the race of faith? How it is that we are to live by faith? And at the core of it is wisdom. We need wisdom if we're going to advance in this pilgrimage. And as Solomon is writing in this psalm, at the heart of this psalm is the idea that we are dependent on God. A life of wisdom is a life recognizing our dependence on the Lord. To live without reference or without dependence on the Lord is futile. Whereas to live depending on the Lord is ultimately rewarding and satisfying. And so we want to see that this evening. We want to see that because it's only by the Lord's blessing that things will prosper. We must depend on the Lord in all we do. That's the, the word for this song, dependence, depending on the Lord in all our activity. We want to look at this psalm that really goes in very different directions. We want to look at it in two thoughts. We want to think about building without the Lord, and then secondly, building with or by the Lord. First, we want to think about building without the Lord. You notice there in the first verse, he says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. The scriptures speak about building in different ways. Uh, there is the building of a physical structure, of a, of a building itself. Uh, you think, for instance, when King David, uh, he wants to build a house for the Lord. 
David means I want to build a temple. I want to build a physical structure that honors and pays tribute to my God. And the scriptures use that language of building a house. But the scriptures also use the language of building a house with respect to a family. Uh, with the idea of establishing uh, a family and nurturing that family and expanding that family. All the care that goes into building up uh, a family and that language is used in the Old Testament. You think of the house of Judah, the language of the house of Levi. Uh, it is the idea of the nurturing up of a people from one small family to ultimately becoming a clan, a tribe. Uh, that they, they nurtured and are developed into a great, sizable people. But the language in the Bible not only speaks of it in terms of a physical structure, of building a house uh, or of building a family, it also uses it with the language of building a kingdom. You remember when we went through Second Samuel, uh, uh, David wanted to build a house for the Lord. And instead, the Lord came to David saying that the Lord would make for him a house. The Lord would build David a house. And what he meant by that was a kingdom. That, that the Lord would cause a kingdom to emerge and be established under David. That would prevail and that the Lord's blessing would be tied to it. And so we can see these different ways in which a building can be used in scripture. But as we come to this psalm, as it goes on in verse 3, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. The most natural way of looking at this psalm is in that sense of a family. That uh, it is referring here, at least primarily, thinking about the family unit. The family is something that is ordained by God. From the beginning of creation, God started with a family. He started with a man and a woman. And they were called to subdue this earth, to govern God's creation, uh, to be fruitful and to multiply, and to govern all that God had created. The family, then, is designed by God as the most basic building block of society. It is the family where church, uh, where Christians are brought into this world, where people are brought into this world, and nurtured uh, to grow and to flourish. But it is only when God is acknowledged that the family will be built up and flourish rather than crumble and to be divided. But that principle of acknowledging the Lord applies more broadly than simply to the family. Uh, whoever, whatever we commit ourselves to, if we do it without the Lord, it is in vain. And so when we think about this idea of building without the Lord, this psalm highlights that to do so, whatever you're doing, whatever you invest yourself into, whatever you commit your energy towards, if you're doing it without the Lord, it is in vain. It's not the same word that is being used in Ecclesiastes, but it's the exact same meaning. It is to do something without consequence. It is to do something that is worthless. It is to do something that is uh, without significance. It's the same word that is used in the third commandment. You remember where it says, you shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain. What it's meaning there is more than just the word God or the Lord or Jehovah or Yahweh. 
The point of that commandment is, is that you will not treat God as something inconsequential. You will not treat God as something insignificant. You will not live your life as though God was worthless. That's what the commandment is about. And here this psalm is highlighting to live your life, to divest and to invest yourself in something without acknowledging your dependence on God is ultimately to do something that will render it inconsequential. It'll end up being worthless. It'll end up being not satisfying. And that's, that's the place where many people ultimately end up. Many people can invest themselves into their vocation. They can become quite successful in their work. They can make themselves very financially secure. They can prosper in this world. And yet the more that they invest themselves into their work or into their financial position or into their relationships, the more they need from it, the more they're looking for it to satisfy them, to give them meaning in this life so that it's worthwhile what they're doing. Why have I been doing all of this for so long? What difference does it really mean? What, what difference does it really make? And here the psalmist saying, if you go down that path of doing things, of building things, of giving yourself over to things without God, it leads ultimately to a sense of vanity. It will be worthless in the end because you'll end up saying, what have I gained? What was it all really for in the end? The money I gained, I gave away. The energy I devoted, ultimately I didn't control the outcome. Why am I even trying if I can't guarantee what the end result is going to look like? In other words, it leaves you feeling numb. That's what this psalm is really talking about. And maybe you are here this evening and you have that feeling of numbness. What am I really living for? Why am I doing the very things that I do day by day? And this psalm is really an aid in that notion. Because it's telling those who acknowledge God that they don't have to be sucked into that vortex. They don't need to be sucked into that dark hole of saying, why am I doing anything? Why does this matter? James Montgomery Boyce uh, was a pastor theologian uh, who highlights di many different ways in which, we, uh, in which people who acknowledge God can avoid being sucked into this mindset. He mentions three things that I think are very helpful uh, of avoiding the idea of thinking that whatever we are dedicating ourselves to, whatever we are building in our lives, is not ultimately worthless. The first thing that Boyce highlights is, is that God works. God works. His point is, is not only did God work in the beginning, but as this psalm hints at, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers build in vain. What this psalm is inferring is, is that the Lord continues to work. Not only did he make all things, but God continues to work at present. And if God is at work in present tense, if he is building right now, that means that certain things are for sure meaningful. That there's meaning behind what is being done. There is meaning in work itself. And so he highlights that very fact. 
we can find meaning in work because the Lord continues to work. Not only does God work, but God makes our work meaningful. God works in and with and through our work. Our work is meaningful when it is in accordance with God's purposes because God is at work through his people, advancing his purposes, that God is building a people for himself. God called Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply, to subdue this earth. He called for the people of Israel to produce a godly offspring. God is building a people unto himself, but he works through his people to accomplish those ends. And so our work can be recognized as meaningful when we recognize God's purposes will prevail. There is a purpose for why we do what we do. And we know that there is success in the Lord's will. But then thirdly, not only does God work, not only does God work, make our work meaningful, but God rewards the work uh, of his people. That's really how the psalm breaks down. The first part of this psalm is teaching us that building without God is useless. But the second part of this psalm is highlighting uh, that God is a God who rewards uh, as well. So the psalm is about building without the Lord. Those who build without the Lord build, the psalmist says, in vain. But then secondly, not only do they build in vain, but as he says in verse 2, he says they will build in pain as well. Notice what he says. It is vain that you rise early, rise up early and go to late uh, to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. You think of uh, uh, the work, uh, the workaholic. Someone might sacrifice uh, uh, many hours to build up their career uh, or their position in society. Uh, but notice what the outcome of that is. He doesn't say that the one who goes to bed late or who rises up early will be satisfied, but just the opposite. He says they're eating, they're, they're living on anxious toil. It doesn't satisfy them. It leaves them more on edge. It leaves them more uh, uh, on alert as to their own sorrow and their own pain. There's a sense of restlessness because they have invested so much into what they have done, and now it only heightens their sorrow of it all crumbling away. They can be frustrated because it doesn't ultimately satisfy them either. And he says there that they're eating the bread of anxious toil. That word for anxious is a word that is used in other places. Uh, We find it, for instance, in the book of Proverbs. But you also find it when you go back to Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve sinned, And God communicated to them the consequences of sin. In Genesis 3, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Now the very thing that was designed to bring forth blessing is something that will bring forth pain. It won't satisfy. It'll be something that ultimately brings with it much sorrow. So here in this psalm, there's this uh, description of what happens when we live without acknowledging our dependence on God. The psalmist says it's in vain. We will leave not satisfied, but with a, a hunger for something that 
makes it meaningful. Why am I doing what I'm doing? But then secondly, not only does it leave us feeling a a sense of inconsequential, but it leaves us with a a sorrow in the heart. This, This is not good. Even the more I put into this, it doesn't help. It only leads to frustration. You go back to verse 1. Notice the the imagery that he uses. Uh, Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Imagine you're in ancient Israel, that you are called to watch over the city at nighttime. The Israelites are in sleep. You're on the watchtower. Your job until sunrise is to make sure that the people are safe. You can watch with all diligence. You can scan the horizon in every direction. You can be faithful in carrying out your job. And it's all in vain, in the sense that you can't stop what is going to happen. When you see an army of 50 or 100,000 men coming against you, you can report it, you can sound the alarms, but you can't stop what is coming. There are forces at work that are much bigger than you. And that's what this psalm is highlighting. You can be a watchman being diligent and faithful and doing all these things. But if you're not acknowledging God, you're not going to be able to accomplish your purposes. And so it will all end up feeling vain. It will all end up feeling like a frustration that can't be satisfied. And so here is this psalm about wisdom. How do we live our lives? Are we not only acknowledging God, but moment by moment, are we depending on him? Are we depending on him in the way that we go about our life, whether we are parents in the way that we're raising our children? Are we depending on him in the way that we go about our activities? Or are we living our lives Acknowledging that there's a God, but ultimately depending on ourselves. Still operating as though it's just me. This psalm is trying to teach us not to live without reference to God. Not to put our trust in ourselves, but rather to recognize our dependence on the Lord. So there's the building without the Lord. But there's also the building by or with the Lord in the second half of this psalm. Notice uh, the shift in verse 3. Behold, that is, it's calling attention uh, to something that should inform our way of looking at life uh, and the family that we are to labor for. It says in verse 3, children are a heritage from the Lord. Uh, Children are, we could translate that as, children are a heritage of the Lord. Meaning by that, that first and foremost, these children are the Lord's possession. That they are to be nurtured and shaped because they belong to God and not first and foremost uh, to ourselves. The Lord uh, is raising up a godly offspring, but he entrusts that responsibility to parents to care for them and to love them, to lead them in the truth. And that's what a parent's calling is, to point them to Christ, to point them to the mercies of God, to teach them about the goodness of God, 
But as much as that responsibility is laid out before them, it's something that exceeds their ability to carry out. That parents aren't able to cause their children to believe. That they're not able to change their hearts. That ultimately the Lord has to be at work in the lives of those young ones. And so a parent has to go about their task recognizing their dependence on God. That the Lord would work in their hearts so that they would treasure him even as they themselves profess to do. And so here is a, a, a dynamic of even parenting. Parents recognizing their dependence to work where they cannot work. They can only point, they can only encourage, they can only uh, 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 lead them, but they can't uh, force them uh, um, to become believers themselves. But here it says children are a heritage from the Lord. There's a great responsibility that is entrusted to parents. But there's also, I uh, hear, uh, a great reward that is being described as well. The fruit of the womb uh, reward. Children are a blessing, as the psalm goes on to illustrate. They are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Uh, so are the children of one's youth. Uh, arrows would be used in defending oneself against enemies in battle. Uh, an archer would have his quiver full of them. And so the idea is that children are a blessing. That they're not to be looked at as a burden or something bad to society, but as a gift of God, something to be thankful for, something in which we are to see how the Lord shapes and nurtures and supports us, uh, even through the gift of children themselves. Sons especially were viewed as a source of strength because they could be uh, uh, a protection against enemies in battle. Uh, but children are a blessing to their parents in old age as they uh, become more dependent. The idea then of having children is not looked at as a bad thing, but as a good thing. It goes on there and it says, uh, He shall put them to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. In the ancient world, uh, legal cases were settled at the gate. Uh, justice was to be administered there. But sometimes injustice happened. And sometimes humiliation took place as well, as the prophets explain. But here it says children will prevent that from happening. Because children have a vested interest in the well-being of the family. Because there's an interconnectedness of loving one another, of protecting and supporting the overall family. And so here the language is, is that children are a blessing because they are ones who ultimately express care for you. They are those that support and provide uh, as well. They, they are ones who protect the family interests and ultimately uh, do what is right uh, for everyone. And so here, this psalm is able uh, to highlight that when we think about even the family, what we do, the building up of a family, is something that we don't entertain or go about by our own strength, but rather it is one where we recognize this is a great responsibility because children are first and foremost of the Lord. They're the Lord's possession, but also recognizing them as a gift of God, that there's a great blessing in having children. Uh, it is a good thing from the Lord. The Lord is at work raising up children, and we're to be thankful for them.
But as we think about this psalm, as we highlighted before, the Lord is building his house in different ways. The Lord builds up a house, uh, not only in terms of the natural family, but the Lord builds up his house in terms of a spiritual house of a people of God. The family becomes the most basic building block of society. But the family is also a means that God uses to build up his church of the redeemed. And the scriptures teach us that the Lord's work uh, is uh, building up a family in the Lord Jesus. This work of building up a spiritual house is by causing those who at one time were living without God to now live acknowledging God and finding their sense of belonging in Jesus Christ. That's how the Apostle Peter writes in his letter. He says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. We read there in 1 Corinthians and Paul said, you are God's building. God is still at work. That means that work itself has meaning. God is building up a redeemed community. That means that when we invest ourselves in the lives of other people, it has meaning too. Because God is working in, with, and through the works of his people to build up his family, to cause those who were sinners to become saints, to cause those who were at one time not a people to become children of God. There is meaning when we invest ourselves in the works of God, and we know that God's works will prevail. The Lord is building up his house who come to a knowledge of God's grace in Jesus Christ. But this psalm is highlighting that word dependence. Unless the Lord does it, all our efforts are in vain. The building of a church family, the building of our lives, all of these things are in vain unless the Lord himself blesses it. Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing except with the Lord's blessing. But by the Lord's blessing, there will be life. There will be fruit. The Lord will accomplish his purposes. Their labors then are not to be in vain because they trust the Lord will accomplish his work and they are secure in that outcome. As we mentioned, Paul, when he wrote to the church in uh, Corinth, he writes, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's building. So whether we're thinking about the family, the natural family, whether we're thinking about the spiritual family, it's the same principle. We work, but we work knowing that it is all of God. We don't depend on ourselves, but it's only with the Lord's blessing that anything will prosper. Anything else is full-hearted. It is to think that we can accomplish things, and it will ultimately leave us with a sense of frustration. 
because we are dealing with things that are bigger than our ability to control. But here we see this great uh, celebration that children are a heritage from the Lord. They are a reward that God is pleased to give. That's true both on a natural level, but also with respect uh, to the church as well. The topic of children uh, can be a sensitive one because we may find ourselves wishing to have had children and haven't. Or we may have found ourselves having had children and having had our own hearts pierced in the process. In other words, as Matthew Henry says, the arrows turned back on us. Children are meant to be a blessing, but in a fallen world, we can find ourselves finding the opposite, the case. But as Matthew Henry goes on to explain, all earthly comforts are uncertain, but the Lord will assuredly comfort and bless those who serve him. And those who seek the conversion of sinners will find their spiritual children are their joy and crown in the day of Jesus Christ. Do you see how Henry counsels us, even if we don't have children? This psalm is saying that children are a good thing, but they're not the ultimate thing. And what do we do if we find ourselves not having had children and not relating with this psalm? or going through the sorrow of having children turn away from our love. Henry's point is, is that if we dedicate ourselves to the Lord's work, we will ultimately find this psalm still realized, that it does bring satisfaction, because we will find that we have had many spiritual children. Where does Henry get that from? He gets it from Jesus. You remember how Jesus said that no one who has left father or mother or brother or sister or homes for his sake or for the gospel will not in this lifetime have many children. Jesus said their work, their sacrifice, their obedience is not in vain when it's done for his sake. And they will find that their obedience and their service to Christ will cause many children to be nurtured and to be built up. And in that sense, they recognize these are the Lord's possession. And there's a great reward in seeing that they have been developed and nurtured in the love of God. So this psalm is teaching us about how we live our lives. What are we committing ourselves to? What are we building our life around? What is it that we're dedicating ourselves to? And how do we go about doing that? We're to include the Lord in whatever we do. But this psalm is acknowledging that we need to depend on God as well. Whether it turns out for our prosperity or for our own pain, we are trusting in the Lord. And we're trusting that the Lord's purposes will prevail. Where does the psalm leave us? It leaves us with the fact that if we are committing ourselves to the Lord in whatever we are doing, it is not in vain because the Lord's work will prosper and it will not end in shame, as it says in verse 5, but with the satisfaction of God's work being accomplished. 
The Apostle John writes in the New Testament, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's the language of satisfaction. That's the language of realizing God's works prevail. John could say that because he saw the gospel shaping other people's lives. Are you living in a way that acknowledges the grace of God? And are you depending on God's grace and strength in all that you do? The Lord would cause it to prosper to his own ends, recognizing it's not in vain, recognizing that God's purposes are good, and recognizing that the Lord will reward his people according to his purpose. What are we committing ourselves to? Are we depending on the Lord? Are we depending on ourselves? The Lord is building up his church, and as we seek to make Christ known to others, we will find that our labors do not end in sorrow or pain, but in joy and satisfaction. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, for children. We thank you, Lord, uh, for newness of life. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us as a church to come around uh, young ones, that you would help us to be praying for them, that we would be uh, those who speak into the lives of uh, uh, one another, that we would be able to have the joy of seeing spiritual children grow up in our midst. Lord, we ask that you would help us not to trust in our own resources, but that you would be a God who would work through weak instruments, knowing that we are but servants, and it is our God who gives the growth. Lord, go before us and we pray. In Jesus' name.